Welcome to Gestational Diabetes Club. I'm your host, Helena, dietitian, nutritionist, vegetable enthusiast, and big fan of strong coffee and dark chocolate. Join me here each week to chat about all things gestational diabetes. We'll cover everything you need to know about your nutrition, lifestyle, and all the messy bits in between so that you can feel empowered to optimize your blood sugar, grow a healthy baby, and create sustainable healthy habits to last a whole lifetime without the stress, overwhelm, guilt, or confusion. Thanks so much for joining me, and I hope you love it here. Hello, welcome back to Gestational Diabetes Club. Now, based on the title of this episode, I feel like you're probably keen to hear all of my very best tips on how you can beat the system and take control of your blood sugar levels really easily. Now, I've got some good and bad news for you, and we'll start with the good. So I absolutely do have plenty of ideas of how you can give yourself really perfect blood sugar readings. The bad news is that I really don't recommend that you do any of them. Now, somebody asked me about one of the things that I'm going to talk about in this episode, And I kind of just thought it would be a little bit of fun to turn it into a whole thing and just compile a list of ways that you could, but probably shouldn't approach your gestational diabetes management. So if you're doing any of these things, consider yourself called out. I have got six things to go through, so let's get into it. Now, number one, and this is a pretty big one. Dramatically changing your diet in the lead up to either the one hour glucose challenge or the two hour oral glucose tolerance test to reduce your risk of being diagnosed with GD. First of all, let's just quickly clarify the difference between the two tests that I'm talking about there. So I know that in some places overseas, you use a one hour glucose challenge, which is not done fasted and you take a smaller amount of glucose and your blood is tested one hour afterwards. And then if you didn't, um, or if your numbers were high on that test, then you would go on to do the two hour oral glucose tolerance test, which is what we do. Um, the only thing that we do in Australia And that's where you go fasted, you have your blood sugar taken fasted, then at one hour and then at two hours after taking a 75 gram load of sugar. So the question is, if you change your diet in the lead up to that test, can you reduce your risk of being diagnosed? And my answer is kind of. So over a longer time frame, your diet can definitely play a role in the likelihood of you developing gestational diabetes. For example, if you were eating pretty poorly beforehand, like lots of processed foods, minimal whole foods, and not doing much physical activity, then these factors would, in a way that is more detailed than I'm going to go into here, start the process of insulin resistance. So if you're already insulin resistant to begin with, then throwing pregnancy on top of things where hormones produced by the placenta essentially block the action of insulin, then you would be at a greater risk of being diagnosed. But in the reverse, if you were eating really well, choosing mostly whole unprocessed foods and regularly exercising, then you are less likely to have underlying insulin resistance and therefore more likely to be able to tolerate the insulin-resistant environment during pregnancy and then that may decrease your risk of being diagnosed. However, this is just one factor of many things that can influence your risk of developing GD. So I am in no way suggesting that anybody with GD caused this by not doing a good enough job of your diet in the lead-up. I'm really not saying that, okay? So we know that there are plenty of other unmodifiable factors, things like your age, genetics, ethnicity, whether you have something like PCOS that can influence your risk. 
So the point that I'm trying to make here is that yes, in the long term, what you eat may help to reduce your risk of developing GD and therefore help you cheat the system, I suppose. But that, you know, that comes with the big caveat of there being all of those other factors that we can't control. But let's also talk about what happens in the short term in terms of changing your diet. Because there's a bit of an idea floating around that what you eat in the days or couple of weeks leading up to your one-hour glucose challenge or two-hour glucose tolerance test can impact the outcome. I'm not going to delve into this one thing too much today, but it's potentially a good good idea for a topic in the future. But I would definitely caution against doing this. There is some talk of needing to carb load before the test to make sure you don't get a false positive, but really there just doesn't seem to be enough evidence to make this a standard recommendation. And eating healthier in the lead up is also unlikely to do that much. And even if it did, I wouldn't recommend it unless you plan on sustaining that eating pattern throughout your pregnancy. And same with doing a bunch of exercise beforehand, which could help, especially in the sense that exercise increases your insulin sensitivity. And so if you did a bunch of exercise the day before your test, then yes, you might get lower numbers than if you hadn't. But if you do cheat the system and you don't get diagnosed, the risk to me just seems far greater than the reward. And that's because if you then reverted back to your regular diet and regular exercise patterns then what could potentially happen is you have high blood sugar levels throughout your pregnancy and that's not picked up on or managed appropriately. So it doesn't really seem worth it if you're going to suddenly really dramatically change your diet and start doing lots of exercise just to say that you don't have gestational diabetes and that you passed this test when, you know, the real thing that we need to be worried about is the real risk to you and your baby if you then do have high blood sugar levels. So sure, you might avoid copying the stigma of having the label of having GD, but in my opinion, it just really wouldn't be worth it if your blood sugar levels are then high and then not being appropriately managed. Now, number two is totally cutting out carbohydrates. I've talked about carbs at length in a different episode, so go and listen to that for a full rundown on things. But basically, at least in the short term, by cutting out carbs, you may well see a drop in blood sugar levels. And that's because you've literally removed the thing that causes blood sugar to increase. Because yes, we know that you eat things that are high in carbohydrate, blood sugar tends to rise. But this can really backfire. And sometimes cutting out carbs means that you upregulate the liver's action in distributing glucose into the bloodstream, which would then cause the high blood sugar levels anyway. And over time, an increased intake of protein and particularly fat which you're likely to be eating more of to compensate for the drop in carbs in your diet, can actually exacerbate insulin resistance. So if you continued eating low carb for months or years, and then you were actually eating more protein and fats, then you may end up increasing your risk of developing things like prediabetes and type 2 diabetes by making your insulin resistance worse. And the other thing is that we do know that carbs are beneficial for your baby in terms of helping them to grow and develop normally whilst you are pregnant. So I wouldn't recommend it. Now, number three is waking up really early to test, but then not actually having breakfast when you do that test. And it kind of makes sense, right? Like we know that usually fasting numbers are better earlier on, particularly if you ate dinner early as well and you don't want to be exceeding that recommended 8 to 10 hour fasting window. 
So testing early in the morning is likely to give you a better reading. And in some ways, it all seems kind of arbitrary because you might figure out that if you test at, let's say, 6am, you get a 4.9 versus testing at 7am and getting a 5.1. That's relevant if, let's say, your blood sugar target is 5 and then you can see that one of those readings is definitely under your target and one is over your target. So you could get up and test at 6am, go back to sleep and then have nothing to eat until you get around to having breakfast at 8am say. So in this way technically yes you're getting a good fasting blood sugar number and you are within your target range and it's it is helpful to know because we know that your blood sugar is coming down to a baseline that your team would be happy with and it's not just really high all of the time. However there could be some risks involved there because if you're not actually breaking the fast and eating breakfast then your number may start climbing without you knowing. And that could expose you to high blood sugar numbers without it really being necessary. Like we know that there's the dawn phenomenon where stress hormones that are getting your body ready for the day can be released in the morning and therefore raise your blood sugar levels. And also when you've fasted for a long period, your liver is likely to be topping up your sugar levels in your blood as well. So these two things could be happening, blood sugar levels could be rising and if you've tested early on and then delayed your breakfast, we don't really know what's going on in that in-between time. So unless you're testing in that in-between time before you have breakfast and you're confident that things are still looking good, it could be a bad idea. Now number four, not testing when you're going to eat something indulgent. So maybe you've had this craving for a massive bowl of pasta and you just cannot take it anymore. So you switch off your meter and just live in ignorant bliss and then you enjoy your pasta and move on. Now this can go either way. I know that some people find the anxiety around seeing a high number is just unbearable so they don't even want to know about it. And I think that's valid. But in my opinion, albeit somebody who is not in the situation... My opinion is that it's always better to know what's going on, especially as knowing what your blood sugar is doing can help inform your course of action for the rest of the day. So let's say that you did have that bowl of pasta and your blood sugar spiked quite a lot. In your snacks and meals after that, you may want to modify things so that you don't continue seeing a spike and spike and keep trending upwards and get to a much higher number than necessary. And in the reverse, if your number actually didn't spike after you ate that meal and then you did modify things anyway, assuming that it had, then again, you might be doing something negative in the sense that then maybe your blood sugar is too low or you haven't eaten enough or, you know, whatever happens. So I would argue that it's better to know what's actually going on. And I would also suggest that indulgence and nutrition can coexist. Like Chris said, you can't have something that's really indulgent and delicious and like you can't pair it with something that's more nutritious and wholesome and more beneficial for your blood sugar numbers. There are usually ways to make that work. Now, number five, this is similar to the above, is just testing somebody else. So maybe you want to have a treat, but you don't want to tell your team about it and you don't want to ruin your streak of good numbers and you just really want to avoid a spike. And maybe it's a situation where your team actually reads from your blood sugar meter. So you can't really cheat by just writing something different down because it's there in your meter. 
You could just test your partner or your friend or whoever's there with you who doesn't have diabetes. But look, this just doesn't help anybody. This doesn't help anybody if you're doing this. Um, And look, the next one is pretty similar, which is just writing down different numbers. So let's say you did spike after eating something and you just lie and you say that you got a better number than you did so that things look better and you don't have to go on insulin maybe. But this just doesn't help you. It doesn't help your team. It doesn't help your baby. Like we've always heard, you know, you're only cheating yourself when you're cheating the system, right? So please don't do those things. It's so much better to just honestly communicate with your team. And they're not usually going to be quick to jump to any different management strategies if it's a one-off spike and especially if you can explain it and especially if it was a um, special occasion. I know that a lot of the time other clinicians are pretty happy to say, you know what, like it's a wedding or it's your baby shower or it's, you know, whatever other special day it is or you've just been really looking forward to this one thing and you need to get it out of your system. If you communicate with them and it is something that's fairly in isolation then they're not usually going to then say, oh my gosh, you got um, an eight and we really need to put you on insulin now. If it's not a clear pattern, there's no indication to do that. So always talk to your team about it and see what the best approach is for you. Now, I suppose just to summarize, I think um, some of these things are valid. If you want to do some of these things, I think they can be valid in certain situations. For example, if you do want to change your diet. But like I said before, if you're going to do that, please do it months in advance. Do it even before you get pregnant and really optimize your nutrition during preconception and then throughout your pregnancy and after your pregnancy as well. And then maybe you would avoid the diagnosis of GD and you'd also just be doing something really beneficial for your overall well-being and being an amazing role model to your family. So if that's something you want to do, go for it. And if you do want to test really early in the morning, again, do it. But if you then don't want to have breakfast straight away, please at least just test your blood sugar in that in-between time to see what's going on and talk to your team about whether that approach is okay. And if you can tell them what the number is in between the time when you've woken up and then before you've had your breakfast, then they might be able to help you work out what the best approach is there. And if you do want to have something indulgent, then like I keep saying, please communicate with your team and work out if there is a strategy that you can use to make sure that that doesn't affect your blood sugar levels too badly. Like I said, maybe it's a case where you pair the really indulgent thing with something else that's going to help buffer out your blood sugar levels. Or maybe it's that they don't really mind that you're doing it and we all expect that there's going to be a spike in your blood sugar levels but you're just transparent about it and find out what the spike is and then just move on and get your team in communication so that they can help you adjust things for the rest of the day so that you don't just continue on with a massive spike for hours and hours and hours. But I think that that is it from me today. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I hope that you found it helpful. And if you did, you can always subscribe. You can leave me a rating or a review or tell somebody about the podcast. I always appreciate that so, so much. Um, But yeah, that's it from me and we'll chat next week. Bye.
That is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't already, please make sure that you subscribe or hit the plus button so that you can get new episodes delivered straight to your podcast app every week. And if you did find this episode useful, I would appreciate it so, so much if you could leave a rating and review or share it with a friend. It helps me reach more people so that I can help them take some of the stress out of gestational diabetes too. And if you want to keep learning about all things gestational diabetes, head to my website to find all the ways that I can support you. Thanks so much. Chat soon. Bye.